Welcome to the Translators Podcast. We have two stand-up comedians on this episode and our talented friend, Anthony Palmini, to help us out with the opening question. Thanks for zooming in for this important moment, Anthony. Uh, no problem, guys. But just a heads up, if um, my connection freezes, I'm not going to reschedule. Okay, so we should probably hurry up and get the question out. And here it is. What Latino stand-up was ranked number 74 on Comedy Central's list of the 100 greatest stand-ups of all time? 74, really? You couldn't find someone in the top 50? The clock is ticking. Okay, okay, okay. I'm going to say Fluffy, Gabriel Iglesias. Uh... Well, uh, this list is from 2004, so Gabriel wasn't well-known at that time. You're looking at a list from 2004? You know what? I refuse to answer now. and Not just oh, not just because I don't know the answer. <laughs> well, the answer is Paul Rodriguez. Yo, okay. that dude is old school. Old school old. Yo, good question, Ann. Mm -hmm. A little dated, but, you know, it got the job done. So let's start the show. Stand-up has always been something that every Latino uncle, every loud person at the barbershop, and every one of your ugly friends thinks that they would be good at. Jimmy, you actually started as a stand-up comedian, right? I mean, what was your best joke? Okay, I would go up, I introduce myself. I'm Jamie Fernandez. I, I don't just do comedy. I'm also trying to act. But it's hard because the only roles I get offered are drug dealer roles. And I can't wait for the day I get offered the role of a doctor or a lawyer who deals drugs on the side. Wow, not bad. See, that was a punchline. Yeah. Do okay. you have any bad ones? Uh, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I had a, a pretty bad one uh, where I was trying to pick up a cute homeless girl. Yeah, I was like, hey, yo, mommy, what shelter are you staying at tonight? Okay. Nobody liked that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unlike Jamie, Latinos have been very successful at stand-up. Hey. The best ones really show the hilarious sides of our culture, our family, and even stereotypes that no other medium can. You can even go back to Mexican comic legend Cantinflas, who wasn't a stand-up in the conventional sense, but he did get his start performing in Calpas, or tent theaters. Tent theaters? Was he performing at Coachella? No, Mike. Anthony, can you explain, please? Yes, yes, yes. At the time, tent theaters were Mexico's version of vaudeville. Then the next big Latino comedian was Freddie Prince. Mm -hmm. Anthony, again, give us some information on him. Sure. Freddie Prince, a.k.a. Frederick Carl Pretzel, would introduce himself to audiences as a Hungarican, not a hungry Rican, which is what we call Jamie uh, when he tried intermittent fasting. If you're going to roast me for fasting, you need to roast Mike for cleansing. Okay, leave me out of this. All right, Freddie was a sitcom star in the 70s. His big break was being featured on Johnny Carson, and the days were appearing on The Tonight Show meant everything to a comedian. Unfortunately, Freddie may or may have not accidentally killed himself at the age of 22. Ooh. Damn, that story went from inspirational to a Netflix true crime documentary. I think another big influence on us was John Leguizamo, who mm -hmm. is not considered a stand-up. He just did a lot of one-man shows like Mambo Mouth and, and more recently Latin History for Morons. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of the modern-day Latino comedians looked up to him growing up. You know, I liked him so much that I actually forced myself to watch Super Mario Brothers. I thought he was believable as a magical Italian plumber related to Bob Hoskins. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Any conversation on Latino stand-ups would not be complete without mentioning George Lopez, all right? 
I think the strength of George's comedy is that I can still relate to his stories about his Mexican family in California, even as a Puerto Rican in New York. Yeah, George has Grammy Award winning comedy albums. His success got him a late night show and two sitcoms. And his career can be thanked by Eric Estrada being a dick to him when he met him as a teenager. Oh, Jamie, so what you're saying is, is that George had a chip on his shoulder? Okay, I uh, set you up. Oh. I set you up. You're better for that than one. that. You're better than that, Anthony. I know. I know. Don't forget the Latina stand-ups. They've also been doing their thing. Women like Ida Rodriguez, mm. Angela Johnson, and Gina Brion, who recently showed America she's got talent, because she was on America's Got Talent. Ah. Yeah. So now we're gonna talk to some of the new generation of Latino stand-ups. This is the Translators, Translators Podcast. Podcast. I didn't know we were gonna do it. I thought they said Mike on the. Let's just start. Okay. How old were you when you wanted to be a stand-up comedian? And like, what drew you to, to stand-up? Um, for me, I, the first time I, I saw a live stand-up comedy was, I was 18. Um, my girlfriend at the time, she took me to see Chris Rock film, Killed the Messenger at Apollo. And that's when I saw like stand-up at like the dopest form, like at the Apollo, had DJ was really dope. Then I went to like a comedy show in one of those like, um, you know, C-level clubs in, in Times Square that, that promote that big names are going to be there, but they never show up. And that's when I saw comedy like, damn, this is... This is crazy, but for me, when I was 20, I was in school and I went to a comedy competition and I saw um, it was a couple of my friends who did it and, and I thought they was funny. And then Chris Stefano actually headlined and he just absolutely murdered. And I was just like, nah, I want to do this. Like to watch him, cause it was mostly black kids and watch Chris up, like white boy, just go up and just level, like he leveled mm -hmm, the room. Mm -hmm. I had never seen killing like that live. And I was just like, oh, I want to do that. And that's when the chip first started, got in my head when I was 20. And I started at 21. And so when you saw that, were you confident that, oh, I could go up there and do the same thing? Or were you like, I gotta, I gotta start, you know, my Rocky training sessions and get my get as good as I can get to, yeah. to get that level. That's that's actually a good analogy because I'm 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 kinda like realistic when it comes like that. I wasn't like, oh, I could go up there and do that. Yeah. But I was like, if I train hard, I'll be ready for the fight eventually. So yeah. that's the kind of thing where I was, where I was like, I think I could get to that point, but I can I can't do that. Then, and I definitely couldn't have. At the time. At right. the time, yeah. At the time. Um, Gaster, you grew up in Brooklyn. All right, so. BK, what's up? I think, I mean, and it kind of just oozes, it kind of just oozes off of you, regardless, just talking with you now. But how did, how did that mold your comedic voice, right? Being, being from Brooklyn. It's my worldview. I, yeah. I don't have to do something for it to come out. It's, yeah. just, it's how I view the world. So I think it just, it's a part of the things that I write. It's kind of wild, like like spaces like this, because one of like the big issues I get into is like, uh, oh, we got a Dominican, like we booked one, or there's already one on a thing, and like if you don't know us, you don't know the layers of it. Like a Dominican from Harlem, one from the BX, and one from Brooklyn are not the same. Yeah. But mm -hmm. the, the nuance to that doesn't come out um, unless you know us and dive in deep. So I think like when you see the two of us on the same lineup, you ain't gonna get the same experience, even though you read the bio and you only get the two line bio, you might think we the same dude from, you know, afar. How do you guys come up with your material? Um, are you guys just <laughs> roaming around the street and with a notepad and writing information that you're just gathering there? Like, how does that work during the week? Like for you guys to get in material, Ian? 
uh, for me, I, I kind of, sort of that way, I kind of just try to live my life regularly. And if like a funny idea pops into my phone, I'll put it into my phone as like a bullet point. It's just an idea. And then eventually I'll sit down with it at home and have a bunch of like ideas. I actually have one today oh. that I wrote down. You can um, share with us. I put in my phone. Um, I, I, I was trying to unlock my, somebody like the other day asked me what was the background of my phone and it's like Radio City because I struggle to find <laughs> what the back, like a good background because yeah. if you put a picture of yourself, they say you're you're an idiot and, mm -hmm. and you love yourself and you're conceited. So I was like, only reason I want to have a kid is so I could have a background on my phone that yes. people will respect. So like, <laughs> that's just like an idea. Eventually I'll sit down with that and try to like yeah. unlock the layers to that and yeah. eventually come up with a joke with it. That's what you say. And like, uh, I'm like, I think I'm more story centric than like what Ian does. So yeah. like for me, anytime I have an extreme emotion, I write down the moment that caused it and all the emotions. So it doesn't even need to be funny. Like if I'm sad, happy, angry, anything like that, I write down the moment, um, everything that caused it. And then later I try to make that funny. But uh, yeah, I'm always about the extreme feeling. Does, it, does this happen to you where like, I have an idea where I'm already like in bed and I'm just too lazy to get up and like write it down. And I'm like, I'm gonna remember this tomorrow morning. And then the, I wake up and I'm like, what? All the time. What was this idea? I should have written it down. I know some people have like the notebooks outside, you know, next to their bed. All the time. That's yeah. actually that was a, that happens to every single comedian. That was an episode of Seinfeld yeah, where yeah, he yeah. went and he couldn't remember he the morning. He couldn't remember the thing. Yeah. That's a real. That's yeah. a real thing. So always have like that. Yeah. So like yeah. a voice memo now. And yeah. my wife got to deal with it. Like I tell her, like, if I'm up, <laughs> I think right. of some shit, and we in bed, just remember the check that's coming later. Yeah. So I'm gonna say that shit. I, li I don't even like write it. I just grab my phone, yeah. voice memo, and I say that shit out loud in the bed. I, I don't. I, I'm gonna cash that yeah. later. Yeah. It's, it's interesting when you're, you're talking about technology and you and doing that stuff. Like, do you when when you're doing a memo? Is it more efficient than writing it down? Like, are you more audio that you listen to it, or is it more where it has to be written? How does I'm that deaf work audio. Uh, I uh, like I I only write after the edit. Uh, my initial stuff is always out loud, written, um, verbal part of me. So mm -hmm. like, uh, when I'm coming up with jokes, I'll pace the apartment, and I'm recording, saying them out loud, and then afterward, when like I got the idea. Uh, and I've performed it a couple of times, and even after I have that audio, mm -hmm. then I'll transcribe that and I'll edit for you know better phrasing and wording. But the initial stuff, like a lot of my friends, literally sit and write. I I can't do that. I I find that uh I lose the way that I talk naturally when I do that. Yeah, I'm the I'm the like opposite. I I like to write it out completely. Like I my my sets are structured in a way where like I want to produce a laugh as much as I can. So I literally write it line by line and. At the beginning, it's not a laugh every line, but as I'm editing, I'm like, I need to put a joke here. I need to put a joke. Yeah. I try to literally end every sentence in some type of laugh. So when you're watching it all come together, it seems like, man, it's a lot of, it's a lot of punch, 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 punch. But I also do the pacing thing. Well, I like pace the apartment because that's a good way to learn it. Yeah. That's annoying. No, people don't think about that. Like, you be like, oh, you got to do new materials. Like, all right, I write, but you got to learn the material yeah. too. Like, yeah, that's yeah. like learning a script. Like, it's not the easiest yeah. thing. You gotta, you gotta really do it. And you gotta be on some quarterback shit because you gotta know audibles, right? You know, like right. I gotta pivot if this joke ain't land, right? Or if it lands, you gotta have like the four tags to stay in the joke. Right. So and like, you have to do it live. You gotta. Yeah. It's not quarter. You're not quarterbacking in practice. You quarterbacking in the game. You gotta yeah. learn the things in the game. Yeah. I, I, a question for you too. Do you feel that the process of when you are molding your set, is it coming quicker for you, or is that something you can't rush? No matter how experienced you are as a stand-up comedian. 
I would say it's not that it comes quicker so much that the other parts of my game are better. So it doesn't hurt as much. Like I'm a better performer. So when I'm doing a new joke, I have to be real conscientious that I'm not getting the last because of the performance versus the joke is ready. Um, so it makes the process feel faster because I'm not starting off with like, oh, that that bombed because mm -hmm. everything sucks, right? It's not like, now at this point, I'm well-rounded as a stand-up. Uh, I'm trying it out amongst the set where the other jokes probably worked. Like, I'm not going up there with 15 minutes of all trash. Mm -hmm. So uh, because of all of that, like, there's a cushion, so it never feels like, oh, this joke, it's the raw zero beginning point. Um, so to that point, I think it comes off faster emotionally. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. uh, were you gonna play on that? Uh, yeah, I mean, the same. Like, I, I, I think I, I definitely write faster now than I did um, before, just because I know my voice a little better, I you know I know kind of how to get to the point a little quicker than I did at the beginning. But yeah, I'm, I'm like I feel like I'm in, I just be in competition with myself. So like I'll write new stuff and I like do it where they say you shouldn't do it. Like I'll write new stuff and I'll do it at a packed house Saturday night at the cellar. New jokes where like going to the stage, I'm like yo, if this if this don't work, it's gonna you know you it could get ugly for you. So yeah. you gotta figure out a way to make this work. So whether you gotta sell this as do the dance or or the words better be funny, but you bomb here, you know, things yeah. could get dicey for you. So but I, I like that like like that challenge. I'll do it. Speaking of challenges and and, and first starting out as stand-up, did anybody give you some advice early on that made you kind of illuminate like certain something that you didn't think, that you just thought, oh, this is stand-up, I'm trying to be funny, I'm making jokes, but I didn't know I I, I wasn't doing this yet. Yeah. You know? Uh, for me, for me, the most um, important advice that I got, um, and it's so simple, and at the beginning, you really don't understand it because you want more. Like, at the beginning, when I used to ask people for advice, and they used to be like, you have to just get on stage, man. You have to just continue to perform every day as much as you can. Just continue. And you're like, yeah, 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 but what else can I do? And it's like, it's nothing else, just that. That's the advice that stuck with me the most. Cause at first I didn't understand it. Cause at first I was like, but like, I'm not good. And like, why, like, it's like somebody saying, you gotta go to the gym. How do I get big? You gotta go to the gym every day. Mm -hmm. And you're like, but I'm good. Look, I'm athletic. And they're like, yeah, but you have to go to the gym every day. So that's the advice that stuck with me the most. I didn't understand it at first because I used to be like, but look, I'm athletic. Like, why do I need to, you know, I used to do it, but I didn't really comprehend. That's why yeah. I be telling a lot, like a lot of people who ask me now who like are a little younger in the game. I'm like, yeah, you got to go because I don't, I don't care how funny you are. You not, you never going to like get outwork me if I'm going on five times a night. Like, that's just common sense. You could be the strongest person in the world. If I'm going to the gym and lifting every single day, mm -hmm. it's going to come a point where, you know. Is you going to go all in or is it like a hobby, right? right. You know, it's a big difference. Right. With that mambo mentality right there. Yo, he got saw the... That, <laughs> saw that right there? So I'm going five days, baby. Five times a day. What you doing? Montages. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I do. Well, I'm doing stand up. I'm doing push ups. Yeah. Are you doing that? Like, you need to ask yourself, Castro. For you, do you have a circle of trust? Do being that you went in and you took a class and you did stand up, do you have a circle of trust that you get feedback from that you could say, okay, cool, that you trust? How's that like, work? For I have you? other comics that like uh, I definitely bounce ideas off of. Prior to the quarantine in particular, like I had like an informal meetup where like once a week. Um, we had to like defend the premise. So like before like we even got on stage to like deliver the joke, if the premise is real, like you can argue it. So, and in turn, you'd end up getting like arguing points from it. This, my boy, uh, Mike Harrison had a joke idea of um, why flossing isn't allowed in public. 
He's like, you know, doesn't make, you know, like there's more disgusting things that we do than Floss, and Floss has like a health habit. So like before making it funny, we just all had to like argue like, like the points of it. So we just yelling about flossing on the train and shit as a group. But you know, it ends up giving you other ideas on how to defend the joke and other lines to go with it. Uh, so yeah, I, I I think there's a lot of value in uh, having a crew of people you could go to, uh, deliver jokes and let you know, hey, that's hack, hey, that's whack. You've done better before. Um, and then also let you know when shit is dope. Yeah, you know, keep going in that direction when you're like slacking to kind of do things that are a bit edgy or so on and so forth. How do you guys separate constructive criticism from just, you know, someone hating? You know what I'm saying? Like, just like, ah, oh, really? Thank, thank you for that criticism. Yeah, but I mean... I think intention and source is so, really what it comes down to to me. Um, I'll take criticism from anybody, even if they're not qualified. I'm not going to put it into practice yeah, necessarily, but I'll listen to it if you're like genuinely being like trying to be helpful. The source is what tends to uh, signify whether or not I'm actually going to put it into practice. Uh, if you're like a peer, someone I respect, I'll definitely put it into practice. For sure. And also, um, while I won't take uh, direct advice from an audience member, I will take advice from the audience. They're the people. Yeah. So I'm listening mm -hmm. to every set. If y'all laugh, that's the feedback. Um, so yeah, source and uh, you know, I mean, uh, the actual shit you're saying. But with the audience, it's interesting because it could be a night where you know you were off, and it's like the audience didn't laugh, but that joke is still solid. It was just me, right? Well, you know what I mean? to Ian's point, yeah. that's why you do it five that's times. Yeah, because you know I mean? the audience be wrong too. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. And the audience might be off. They just yeah, might be, right. Do you yeah. do that live? You're like, guys, that was funny. I try it's not to do that. I try not to it's do that because they don't <laughs> care. <laughs> no, people do that. People do that. But I, when oh, I see right. that, they get pissed off. Yeah, right. when I yeah. see that, I'm like, bro, I don't care what TV show you did this joke on. It didn't work tonight. Yeah, yeah. Like they don't find it funny. That's it. So I try yeah. not to do that. But you know, as a comic, you want to do it. Like right. you want to be like, oh, y'all ain't find that funny. Jimmy Fallon did, but you don't. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't. Do I ain't gonna need drop. But I'm <laughs> we're all humans. We want to do it, but you know, you want a Julius Randall thumbs down to the fans. Right. YouTube. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you were uh, on a Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. Yes. As a, a stand-up comedian, how, how what's your headspace going into that, and and knowing that a lot of people are going to see you, like, how do you keep yourself focused for when you're about to perform in a late night show? Yeah, it's a tough it's a tough process. Most people have like a little bit of a of a advance on when they're going to do it. They know you're like you're going to do it in 2 3 months or whatever. You have kind of time to prepare. Um when when the booker asked me for a tape, I submitted a tape. He was like, "Can you do this in 14 days?" Um which is a very quick turnaround because I had submitted the tape like a month prior and I wasn't really doing those jokes anymore, so I kind of had to get back into the rhythm of those jokes and kind of do it. But when you when you're doing something like that in New York City, all the Comedy clubs and everybody who runs shows, they all want to help. So they're like, hey, man, come run your set. Come run your set. So I was doing it about, I was running those five minutes about three, four times a night for like the whole, on weekends, six, seven times, wow. just doing those five minutes. So by the time the day came, um, the nerves wasn't so much as I was anxious because I was, I was so done with the material because when you do it so robotically every night, you, it gets so tiring. So mm. I remember just like a couple of days before I did the Tonight Show, I was kind of like in my head about it where I had to speak to like some of the OGs who did it where I was like, yo, I think I'm going to bomb on TV. Like I think I'm just going to bomb in the middle, uh, I mean, for the whole country because you just, the material doesn't feel natural like mm -hmm. it does. But then the night before, I went out with the booker and we hit up like all the clubs and we did like the cellar, which I wasn't working at the time and I had a good set there and you kind of had the confidence going into it. So on the day of, I was kind of like very anxious, but I was like, yeah, like, let's do it. Like, 
don't don't let your nerves get the best of you. You do this and you put in your work. Like that's the thing that I find like nerve like nerves and anxious. Like if you put in the work, you'll be anxious. That's normal human yeah. thing. But the nerves, you're like, nah, I I, I do this. Yeah, yeah, I do this every night. I, I should be okay in front of a studio audience who wants me to succeed. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of the mentality. I'm curious when you're doing stand up, especially when you're doing some of the clubs where it's into like it's very intimate. Yeah. How is the the vibe, the beat when you're performing late night in the space where the audience is over there. Like, what's going through your mind? In that? Yeah, it's, it's definitely different. It's definitely different and it's definitely awkward because you kind of like don't know, really know how to stand because you're like, it's such it's a big we're gap. sitting for yeah, the show right Yeah, now. you're like, is this good? Is this good? Um, but again, like usually the, on those late night sets, like the audience are on your side. It's not the Apollo. They don't want to boo you off. Before you come on, Jimmy like gives you like a great introduction where he's like, guys, this next guy, like, He's my friend. Like, I like him. I want you guys to enjoy him. We brought him here to make you guys laugh. So we want you guys to show him a lot of love. So you're set up to succeed. So right. that helps. And it's a studio audience. There's like a lot of applause breaks, a lot of mm -hmm. things. So um, it's definitely different than the club, but they're on your side. Yeah, they do have, they have the straight up applause. So it's like, yo, yeah. keep, keep, you know, shining that shit, please. Yeah. Now they don't do that during the set. Uh, they they don't, don't? No, no, oh. they don't do that during the set. Okay. The, the, they do have the applause button, but they don't do that during the set because who's to say when, you know, the, right, when right, you right. should applause. Yeah, yeah, you're in the middle. Like, that uh, That wasn't yeah. uh, right. That wasn't a joke. Right, <laughs> right, right. That wasn't right. a if joke, If it's just a guy pressing the button. Yeah, <laughs> guy's like, okay, yeah. that was another joke. Yeah, right, 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 right. right. That's a lot of work. That's a lot of work. Organically, I feel like an audience just knows when, like, to do it, like, organically. And there's always, like, a few of them that started in the crowd who like mm -hmm. no that, that deserves applause break but yeah I've seen a lot of those talk show ones where it's like sometimes you think like it starts slow and then those comedians end up that second half of their yeah. thing is so like it's almost like they structured it where it's like I know you're not gonna laugh out loud right yeah. away right. I'm gonna hit you at the end with my second half of this right. shit yeah. and then it's like standing ovations yeah. like, it's interesting sometimes you see some of these these talk show performances a lot of it is strategic right it's like I, I know I'm gonna get these people you know, on my side by the end. But, of course, um, yeah. We, we we started the show talking about you're both Dominican, but we have different experiences. Mm. A part of my question is, do you have Dominican relatives that listen to your stuff and be like, Loco, tu no te hablando. you're not talking more about Dominican stuff, what's up? So how do you, um, how does that with your experiences that uh, I've listened to your stuff, you're not throwing Dominican, Dominican, Dominican all the time. Where does that come from, the decision? And do you have people in your family that are like, yo, you should throw more Dominican jokes? Yeah. In? Um, for me, um, I'll answer... I, mo it's mostly, it's really not my family. It's mostly like just fans, like people, you know, who just see me and they'll just be like, hey, you need to be talking about this. You need to be talking about that. Um, I, I have a thing where like, I think it's so important and I don't want this to sound like I'm trying to like shade the thing, the whole thing that we're doing. But like, I don't even really like the term Latino comedian. Like, I don't mm -hmm. like that. I was doing an interview um, just last week for this uh, for this newspaper, and he kept saying Latino comedian, and and then even at the end he was like, "What are some other Latino comedians that you know?" And I was like, "I don't, I don't know any Latino comedians," and I named five Latino comedians who mm -hmm, were just mm -hmm. comedians. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You were one of them. I didn't know you were going to be here, but I did mention you. <laughs> nice. No doubt. Right but yeah, I don't like that phrase. I feel like it does it it, it does us a dis a disservice. Mm -hmm. I've um I've had this conversation um 
with with like Ida Rodriguez. That's like she's like my big sister, and and I, we've had this conversation where it's like I think the main level, like once you reach like being seen, like the main level of being seen is like when a white man gets able to tell his story, and it has to be about nothing. Like when you could tell a story about nothing, mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be about like how your parents came here. Or about a white guy get up there and sell a TV show about working at a coffee shop, and they'll be like, "This is great." Yeah. I feel like that's the level of bringing a culture. Like, yes, it's important to tell our story and it's important to like push our things forward. But I think it's very important to like, we also want the freedom that we're just people. We're just yeah. like, just like ever. Like there's no such thing as a white comedian. Why do they just get comedian? Mm -hmm. But we get Latino comedian. I don't get it. Cause we're Latino. Well, they're white. Mm -hmm. What's right. the difference? We should be able to speak about whatever you want to speak to. If you want to speak about your tias and the chancletas, I mean, yeah, it's been done, but do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And it goes back to what Gasser was saying about, you know, just you see a couple of, you know, two Dominicans on the same, like, you know, uh, uh, the show and you're not, they're not necessarily going to have the same material. Yeah. So you're going to put them in a, a Dominican comedian vice. So yeah. Forget Latinos. It's like, I got, I got two Dominican comedians yeah. here so i mean it's it's people like to put you know perform uh everyone in a box yeah. you know because it's convenient right 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 and it sells kind of you know if it's an article or something like that it's like five com latino yeah. comedians to watch yeah. but mm -hmm. after a while it's just everybody's just trying to do the same thing and make people laugh yeah the interview like he didn't even mean to, but i just felt like he was shading latino because he was just he was like honestly giving me a compliment yeah. but the way he was wording it didn't sound like a compliment to me because he was just like you know he and he knows like he was a guy who knows comedy he wasn't like a thing he's like yeah because all the latino comics that i know speak about a certain way but see like you're not like that like you have more of like a mainstream appeal like he was saying that but i was like what yeah. like what, what are you talking about like i i just talk about what I experienced. I mentioned being Dominican in my set. It's not yeah, the whole yeah. thing, but mm -hmm. we, we we talk about whatever we want to talk about. Mm -hmm. It's not. Yes. I, I identify as Dominican, but it's not my whole identity. Right. And that's what I think gets people thrown off. He's a Latino and he's a comedian, but he's not a Latino comedian. Right. He's a comedian who happens to be Latino. Mm -hmm. It's right. a part of his story. It's not right. his whole story. Right. And I, I think that's kind of like what we're trying to get to next. And um, like, I feel like I don't need to tell a joke about being Dominican to represent being Dominican. My last name says it. As soon as I'm on stage, I'm repping. Like, that's right. it. Like, my presence is repping, right? right? Uh, but, yeah, like, I I, I, uh, I get that. And, like, if it's coming, and again, intention. So, like, if it comes from a Dominican fan, I appreciate that because you're so excited that you haven't seen enough of us. You're asking for mm -hmm. more representation. I fuck with that all day. Yeah. But like when it comes from like someone that ain't from the culture and it sounds sideways, like it sounds like a qualifier, um, I get a little front, I, I get a little like edgy with that, you know what I mean? Like like I like for example, I'm from East New York. I never want someone to be like, yo, he's the funniest Dominican East New York comic from Fulton Ave. Like yeah. at that point, <laughs> that shit don't mean nothing no more. Yeah. You know, like that's specific you, too, yeah. but yeah. Like over that filter, like you yeah. just eliminated the whole compliment that you were right. trying to say. Right. You know, so yeah, I'm big on that like energy. Yeah. I, I, I one thing like when I get it from a fan, it's not that like I feel like I understand that they think I'm funny and they want to hear my point of view or my perspective on whatever it is that they experience. Mm -hmm. But like part of I don't know, I just be thinking like bigger down, like part of like we're first generation, some second generation. Our kids are going to be second or third generation. Like our kid, like for us, if I marry another first generation Dominican and we have a Dominican child, their experiences are not going to be what my parents' experiences was. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to like 
raise what people think about us. Yeah. Like, so, yo, oh, they're just normal people because if not, then we're not growing. Like, mm -hmm. our, we, we, we happen to be from a time where, like, people immigrated to this country. Our parents came to this country. But most of the people I know are now born here and raised here. So mm -hmm. they're, 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 you know, upbringing is not the same. I'm sure your kid's upbringing is not the same Word exactly up. as yours, right? You got to... Oh, my son is soft as shit. Right. Like, mad every day. <laughs> right. I love him. Like, he's right. a dope kid, but he's right. not the same guy. Yeah. Right, right. And there has to be a path for him. when yeah. he, If he wants to be a comedian, there has to be somebody that he could be like, oh, this person, he was like this person. Or if not, he's going to have to carry the, the load. So I, I feel like, not that I'm like distinct, but I take on mm -hmm. that of like, nah, I'm, I'm, I'm not the Latino guy. I'm sorry yeah. if, if that's what you want. There's a lot of those guys that do the Latino thing and you put them in front of a Latino crowd and they absolute murder. They make me laugh. They make everybody laugh. But that's not what, what I do. It's not what you do. Yeah, and, that's, and, and that worldview is natural to that person. Yeah. So that's dope. Yeah, do right. it. You are that part of the voice. Right. And like we are part of like being Dominican and being comics, but we're not just that. And like I, I, when we get to a point to where all of us are representative of that separately and differently, I think that's when it's beautiful. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of what I want to get to. Whereas like realistically, like how many Dominican or any Latin centric sitcoms are there? Yeah. There aren't right. But to his point, uh, it's not viewed as a white centric sitcom. It's so just it's a just sitcom. A different yeah. It's just a sitcom. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But like if one Dominican got the sitcom. That's the only sitcom we get in for like five years. Right, yeah. Right, you know, yeah, like right. that's fully indicative of our whole, like, you know, all of us. That doesn't right, make sense. Right. So, uh, yeah. And, and it's crazy too, because if that one doesn't succeed, or the assumption is that it's a Dominican show, all the Dominicans are gonna love that show. Yeah, and but we're not enough though. We we got it, you know. We're not. If 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 you was doing it in DR, it'd be great. You get right. the whole country would be. Right. But this country's not mostly Dominican. So if we want people, if we want to be allowed in, we gotta. Allow the other people into our, you know, into right. our house. That's yeah. just what it is. We live in a country where we're not the majority mm -hmm. yet. Yeah. <laughs> I like how you yeah. 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 You're yeah. doing numbers out yeah. there. Okay? <laughs> you about to have 16 man. kids. Right, right. <laughs> we got to keep it growing, Do it up, baby. Nielsen's, come to our house. There's 16 of us. <laughs> we'll get that in Soft-ass kids. Uh, yeah, I, love, I love my son. No, 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 no. Really... No, real talk, man. I, I, I don't know what the hell he's into on a regular. Dude, like, like yesterday, I had to order freaking, uh, he wanted to get into freaking coding and mushroom growth. So oh, like yeah. that's not East New York to me. Like I, yeah. that that kid is just weird. He's, like his whole wall is just mushrooms that he grows. Like he's like oh, I'm really into fungi, Dad. I love yeah. like bio class. <laughs> and that that's a Dominican kid from Brooklyn. That's not this yeah, like Dominican I'm a fungi too, but I don't know what this shit is. No, uh, I don't know any of that. But, but I, to it, your in, point, a, like, in a way though, that's a that's a real that's a luxury. That's a good thing. Yeah. I, I was born in East New York too. I grew up in East New York. I moved to Queens when I was 11, and when I was born in the 90s, that wasn't the thing. You At couldn't all. do that. It was yeah. a lot of drugs. It was a lot of crime, and that's why you're the way you are. That's a, so it's a luxury that you're able right. to give your kid a life where mushroom growing is like, like it's cool. Yeah, yeah like that's you dope. That <laughs> like you, you don't feel ashamed about. Yeah. Yeah, I would have hit that shit for years. Right, right. Like, I still dope. like even as a parent, I hit it for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> that was my instinct. Like I can't yeah. have people out here knowing my son doing this nonsense. Nah, fact. But like, yeah, like I love that. Like that's the evolution of where he is yeah. now, and fact. he's cool doing that. Fact. Um, but yeah, and that's that's gonna be another Dominican experience one day. That right, you could do that. Right. So a lot, a lot of old school comedians uh, complain about the cancel culture. And how they can't say what they want to say. <laughs> um, you're kind of like this, this new, you know, current generation, right? And so I want to 
hear your opinions on do you really feel cancel cultures constricting your you know creativity like or you're just like look i'm gonna say what i i don't really think about it i say what i think is funny and um i don't i don't consider my my material problematic or you know something of that nature but um gaster oh <laughs> go this is racist same, same time same time we're gonna mortal combat this all right we whoever cancels each other out uh, uh yeah we'll go ian um no, no. I mean, to to those guys, yeah. I'm like, listen, man. The the business changed. The yeah. things changed. There's a new speed limit. This this is the speed limit now. Yeah. You gotta abide by what the speed limit is. I mean, I grew up like I said. I grew up in East New York, where you know, like I people used to say, you know, the the let's the f word, not not the fuck, but like mm -hmm. speaking derogatory of, right. of of gay people, but not, I never heard anybody in my whole circle ever say that to a gay person. Yeah. They would only say it if you, you know, into growing mushrooms. That's what they would say yeah. back then. So that's how I grew up. But as I got older, they was like, yo, this is not cool. It's not cool yeah. to say this. You, you can't speak like this. So I don't speak like that. I don't understand why they feel like, like cancel culture. I feel, it's a real thing, but like when it comes to like the term, you gotta adapt, man. In the in the '90s, you was able to do a lot. Yeah, you could talk how you want. You used to also be able to sexually harass women in the workplace. Mm -hmm. That's that used to be normal in the '90s. It's not today, so you can't do it. Mm -hmm. Same thing with the thing. People offended. You offended somebody. Now there is people who just get offended off nothing. Yeah. With them, it's like I can't, I can't help you there. Like this is clearly a joke, and you taking it personally. But for the most part, like those words that people don't like to say. I mean. And I, and I still feel like you could say it, but yeah. just the joke got to be so good mm -hmm. that the level is really high. So I don't feel like the words are off limit. It's just that joke better be like Louis got a word, got the joke saying the N-word, one of the best jokes ever written. And no black person I know ever got upset about it. They was like, this is just a good ass joke. So to those old guys, I'll say, nah, you could say it. But you can't just call somebody in the audience that thinking you're going to get a laugh like it's funny. Yeah, you can't Kramer that shit. Right. right. That was a whole different right. thing, but yeah. Right. You got uh, to craft it. You could say it. I actually was one, like, I think he's the perfect example to that where, like, uh, you have the awesome joke about uh, uh, identity where, like, you know, the he, the pronouns. The pronouns. Like, yeah, he embodies that shit. And he uh, he presents a worldview that is clearly his, yeah. isn't offensive, um, and, and, and that's all it is. Like, you have to... I, I, I think uh, people can read if uh, it's coming from a place of hate. Um, anyone that's been canceled, in my opinion, kind of deserved it. You know what I mean? Like I, I feel like that's not something that uh, most of us have to worry about because I think the audience can read our intention. We're trying to like express something about ourselves, and as uh, as long as you're doing that and being authentically you, and you're a good person, mm -hmm. good things are going to come out. With that said, I do think there's a little bit of leeway we deserve when working on a joke. I do think that's sure. different. You know, like if you see me at a club um, and I mess up a joke, call me out on it at the room by booing or not laughing. But you shouldn't necessarily like say I'm a bad person because I misphrased the joke that day. And now if I do that at a taping, then call me out because that means I decided after working this joke a hundred times that this is representative of me and I want the world to see it as a art piece. Yeah. But in the room, when I'm working stuff, things might go wrong. And I apologize. Let me know. Definitely. By either, mm -hmm. uh, you know, not laughing, send me an email, whatever the case may be. And, I, and I'll get that feedback and pivot. Um, but in terms of like uh, cancel culture being a real thing, I don't feel that because I feel like 
I'm a good person and I'm genuinely not making material with that intention of shock value or offending. So it won't come out that way. And nobody's outside the comedy club with pitchforks already. Right. You know what right, I'm saying? Right. Like, <laughs> also, yeah. I, don't, I don't know many comedians who's been canceled for words, like yeah. for jokes. Yeah. I mean, I mean, like people say, oh, Chappelle, Chappelle's not canceled. Chappelle's about to win another right. Grammy. He's getting $20 million per thing. He sells out every single show. Yeah. It's just a couple people on the internet that write stuff. That's not... Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. cancel. I don't think. I don't think for words it's a real thing. For for actions, of course, there's people right. who have lost it. But like just words on stage. Nah, it's just a couple people be like, this is offensive, and they'll go away. Like yeah. with. Couple, and I think uh, even some of the people that complain about cancel culture, some of the comedians, that's part of their bit as well. Yeah, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, I'm gonna play, I'm gonna, I'm gonna lean into being the, yeah. the old guy who's just like, I don't. And some people take it as that, oh, they're never gonna change, you know, like yeah. they, they, they're they're stubborn to change and stuff like that. So yeah. I mean, you never really know who's right. Who's at home stewing about like I can't say what I want to say? Right. Or it's like I'm a sometimes <laughs> I feel like they are though. Sometimes yeah. I feel like some of these old yeah. guys. I'm like, bro, it's the take on the challenge, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. A craft, a masterful joke that you can't debate is a good joke. Mm -hmm. Like it, 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 they're out there. I mean, mm -hmm. I think Chappelle does it pretty well. You know, I think he he does it. Is people, mm -hmm. but they just want to be able to say it like loosely, like with no like thing. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, people get offended, so you can't say that no more about yeah. that. Bars, bars. <laughs> Stand up comedians are not only doing stand up. You guys are, have a podcast. Can you tell us how doing podcasting lends yourself when it comes down to doing stand-up com uh, comedy like in that medium? How does that help? Can, can I ask, why'd you get all sexy for that question? Mm. Like, I don't know what's happening there. You're uh, like, yo, you know what I mean? Like, hey, well, that was because I was in stand-up, uh, I was hey, in uh, podcast uh, mode. So okay, I, I, I get like that. I was talking to you as a fellow podcaster. Yeah, no, as a fellow podcaster. We don't do, we don't just do comedy now, Gasol. You got a podcast. <laughs> I'm gonna cancel you because of that, bro. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, uh, how does podcasting kind of lend to like you into what I do? Yeah, yeah. Um, a few things. Uh, one um, podcast I do, the War Report uh, mm -hmm. with the homie Chalet with Sharp. Uh, it's uh, a few things came from that. Like one, um, we started it during the quarantine, so it was a way for us to kind of just stay fresh and like you know work out when we couldn't do it live. Two. Shalewa and I in particular, like all my material is real like family centric and like about what directly happened to me. Um, and she's real like uh, about things like she observes in her day to day life. Uh, and we realized that we just didn't talk much about uh, topics that were in the news. So it was a cool way to kind of offer a worldview to our fans about stuff that we weren't feeling like on oh, burning material. So it it, uh, it was just a way to give people that like, are rooting for us and want to listen to us something that we can easily repeat and give them and provide them with without necessarily burning the stuff that we're prepping for the album. Um, and I think that's important. I think uh, building that kind of community with your, with your audience, the people that really vibe with you is immensely invaluable. Like uh, besides the fact that they get to hear more and more about your voice and get to learn who you are as a person, um, you get information, you know where they are. You get to know where to do shows. Like because of the podcast, instead of like figuring out how to do a tour, I go to the city. He's like, oh, I had 3,000 listeners in this city. I'm going to go there because clearly they want me there. Like, they want to listen mm -hmm. to me. That's dope. So podcasting is that. It's like a way of me directly connecting with the people that already are connected to my content and, you know, being able to, like, respond to that. That's dope. Awesome. Uh, final question. Um, with so many distractions in the world, social media, uh, what advice do you have for up-and-coming comedians to just stay focused in their craft, you know? For people trying to do any art form in general is uh, 
uh, I don't think you need to fall in love with the idea of doing it full time right away. Um, yeah. I think that uh, more and more people, you can have a valuable and incredible career in any art form yeah. um, after work, A. B, stabilize. Like a big part of why I feel like I was able to go full time is because I owned my house. You know, like, and it, I, I did a ton of work at a regular job. I put down a down payment, and now I don't have to worry about rent. That's a huge advantage I had yes. over most of my peers where, like, year three, you're trying to grind five shows after work. That's tough. I quit my job, and That's I was tough. able to do every open mic and every show for, like, two years. Got to have a game I, plan. The yeah, game have plan a plan. Like, really roll it out. Don't just be, like, gun hole on yeah. some, like, oh, I'm, a, you know, YOLO this shit and quit my job and, you know, whatever, because <laughs> that's what you hear, like, the dream story. It works every now and then for some people. Yeah. Quit everything and do that, sure. But that's not a real plan. You really want to win. You got to make sure to set yourself up to win. Make sure you got the economics worked out so that you can pursue this when it doesn't pay that well until it does. Right, yeah. And um, what your question was on the social media thing, right? Do you? Yeah, yeah, because I think like you guys are using your phone as uh, as an yeah. advantage with technology to a voice memo, but then it's also to be like, oh, I gotta start writing. But hold on, let me go on my. Yeah, my I gotta phone. I gotta be better. Like I don't have a TikTok, and I I really just have an Instagram. I don't really tweet that much. Um, I gotta be better because there is a tool, like it is a tool that helps, and it can. Like if you, especially if you're a person who's put into work, it can take you to that next level with the fan stuff. Mm -hmm. But I don't know, man. I think I'm just such a purist. Like I'm really like I'm really like a, a, a like obsessed with stand up comedy. Like my my mom when my mom got sick, my mom got sick with cancer earlier in the year, and like it was literally the only thing that was keeping me going. Like in the darkest time, I would take care of her the whole day and go perform at night. And it was the only form of like any type of happiness that I would get the whole day. And it made me grow a different level of respect for the art because I knew that for me, it was the only thing keeping me going. And then like, as it went on, I started to think, but how many people in the audience bought a ticket for that reason? Cause they want to get away from what they're, whatever situation yeah. they're dealing with at home. And and I'm the person that they're giving, I'm, they're literally like giving money to me for 15 minutes or 20 minutes or an hour, whatever it is to do that for them. So I just got like a new, like I had a whole new level of respect for art that I've already respected and, and loved. So and that's the power of stand up that, yeah. that, you know, you're going through a tough time in personal life, but yeah. you can still, it's not like, how can I be funny? It's like, no, this is what I do. Like, right. I'm going to go out there and whatever's going on in my personal life, right. I can go up on stage and just be. I had to, I needed, like, I, I mean, I always thought this was what I did, but it's a different, it's different when you, like, experience it, like, getting a phone call, finding out, like, you know, yeah. the worst news that somebody could get, and, you know, being like, all right, and do, you know, go on stage and rock the house and then deal with whatever the emotions that come after that, that's a difficult, you know, that you got to, when you experience that, then you like, oh, no, nah, no, nah, this is what I do. I, 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 that's that for me more than like the Tonight Show, more than like HBO, more than any credit for me, that was what solidified me as like, oh, no, nah, I'm a stand-up comedian was like that shit. That's real. Thank, thanks for, uh, thanks for coming to the show, fellas. That was an awesome episode. We want to thank our guests, Gaster Almonte, Ian Lada, and Anthony. Who, yes. Uh, who Anthony, thank you for not logging off and all that great research. We couldn't have done this without you. I yeah, mean, we could have, but still yeah. sort of difficult. And it's interesting to see you, like, you know, you're like there and we're here. Um, yeah, it's the future. And of course, like we do every show, okay. we are going yeah. to drink from our personalized translator mugs. Mm. Okay, this this milk is expired, I think. Oh, all right, I don't think Ooh. that's milk.